0: This one's a little loud. Don't get too close. (laughs) Pray tell, what was that, Andrew? That's us releasing CO2 into the atmosphere.
1: (laughs) Hey, Sarah. Hey, Ed. Where are we, Sarah?
2: We are at Annex Ale, and we are learning about how our beer, energy versus climate, is being brewed.
1: Sitting here with Andrew Bullied... And I'm trying to remember your formal title, I want to
0: call you Brewmaster. I think that's you uh, that's and now, um, kind of more of an Excel guy. Um, yeah, uh, just founder um, with uh, Eric O'Gorman, my, my partner.
1: So, Andrew, why, how did it come to be that Sarah, and I, that Sarah and I are sitting here at Annex Ale Project witnessing the historic brewing of a special batch of Annex Ale Project beer that just may or may not
0: be linked to our little pod project? Um, as I recall, we were getting tweets directly from Sarah about uh, live taping of a energy versus climate podcast, where uh, someone may have been imbibing on an annex beer called Easy Answers, which I suppose the uh, maybe the name was found the name to be particularly poignant and uh, you know applicable to what you you happen to be talking about that day. So yeah, I believe the conversation went in a direction that said we would love to work together in a way that no way uh, financially benefits the podcast.
1: <laughs> we're here for the lucre. To be clear, <laughs> energy versus climate brew available in fine alcohol stores everywhere.
0: Um, yeah, so you don't know, just. Uh to line up with one of our sustainability initiatives that we try to found our company on and something that's important to us, we decided to explore a brewing concept that we would be able to see how to maximize beer outputs for uh, the minimum amount of energy that we could do within the confines of our facility. So we challenged our brewers to do what we call a high gravity brew, which is essentially going to enable us to make 25% more beer for the same energy, which I suppose falls in line with exactly what the podcast discusses. So that begs the question what the heck is a high gravity brew and when has it been used do others use it is that specific to you guys just High gravity brewing is what many craft brewers would find to be somewhat of a deplorable large industry practice. And it's the process of making a very strong beer and diluting it later on in the process. But we decided that maybe, you know, we may be able to compromise some of our integrity in the uh, in the name of sustainability and see just what we could do in our facility. We make a strong beer and we're going to dilute it down with water later on in the process. So we're boiling less and cooling less and uh, using less energy to make more beer. We are aiming for a North American style Session Ale. So we want something that is hop forward, but balanced, light, easy drinking, not terribly alcoholic, but very flavorful, um, especially when it comes to the hop flavor and aroma. It'll be available throughout the province. Check out Calgary Co-op, in the Alcana stores, Safeway Sobeys, uh, but you can also come right to Annex Ale Project. I believe we're releasing this February 8th. It'll start uh, rolling out throughout the province uh, at that point, and I'm sure uh, it will sell out almost immediately.
2: I definitely plan on going to the beer stores and getting the beer and being like, this is, this is for my podcast.
1: All right, Ewan, tell us about the beer brewing process. My name is Ewan Muir. I'm the head brewer
3: at Annex Ale Projects. Uh, the beer brewing process is a very elaborate way of basically gaining sugars from raw grains into a size of sugar that yeast can convert into alcohol in liquid form. That's the very basic Recipe for what we do here. In our specific instance, we have the two vessel system here. The vessel here, we call it a mash tun, and the vessel behind you there is called the boil kettle. So, in this vessel here, the mash tun, if you want to open this uh, little can, we can have a look at what we're doing. We're essentially combining raw grains with hot water and we're reenacting steeping. So we're opening up the grains so that the, the sugars and the enzymes within them act upon each other. And then we'll extract basically what we call wort, sugary liquid from the grains, leave the grains where they are and move that wort into the kettle here. Once we fill that kettle, we start boiling, as the, as the name suggests. Throughout this process, we'll also add hops, which is where bitterness comes into the game. And once we've sterilized it, which is the original intention of a boil, sterilizing, but now we do it for flavor and color and a number of other things, we will cool it on the way to our fermentation tank, where we'll add yeast. The yeast then can consume those sugars, convert it to heat, ethanol, and CO2. And at the end of the process, once the yeast is done, we'll cool it. The yeast will get moved off to a different beer, and we'll be left with,
1: with beer, the final product. Sarah, as a physicist, what is your reaction to what you just heard? Are you well? Could be a chemist, but as a physicist,
2: it sounds tasty. <laughs>
1: yes, good. Professional opinion. <laughs>
2: yeah. Future Sarah here. Just jumping in to add a little bit more context, I think this is such a great classic example of energy efficiency when it works well. It's an example where you're able to get the same final product out of the process, in this case, a can of you know tasty energy versus climate beer, but you're using less energy in the parts of the process that aren't necessarily contributing directly to the output. And so in this case, it's really about using less water overall, having a more concentrated solution. And so that the heating and cooling that takes a lot of the energy as we'll hear is just done on a smaller amount of water without changing the product itself. And so the energy that you're kind of avoiding using is energy that doesn't necessarily go towards helping you with that final output.
1: So uh, Ewan, can you tell us what's going on? Yeah, I've just finished um, mashing out. So all of the words that
3: we have collected We've moved over from the mash tun into the kettle. Now, all we have over there is water. They've picked up the small chain sugars that we've extracted from the mash, and over on this side, all that we have left is is dry spent grains. They are going to be collected in these bins, run by a local business, which sends them back to
1: farmers and get used as cattle feed. Ewan, what what are we looking at here? This is the boil kettle. Can we actually peek inside the boil kettle? But if we look inside, I'm not going to boil my face off, am I? Well, that's not the plan. I see a lot of steam coming out of this kettle.
3: Yeah, it's got... This has to be 75 degrees and we'll we'll reach 97
1: degrees in the kettle. Then it really is living up to its name. It's a big kettle. It really is. One second. Let me just turn up a profile here. So we've got a podcast with a bunch of geeky energy and climate wonks. And they're always interested in energy, as we talk about on the podcast. We haven't done a show before on brewing beer or in distilling alcohol. Very curious to know, Ewan, tell us, what are, in, in sort of layperson's terms, where are the energy inputs into beer brewing?
3: Well, there are numerous energy inputs, and there's numerous sources of that as well. The good thing for the industry is, as it grows, there is a lot of investment and research in how to minimize those, and there are a few sectors within the industry that do that. The initial input, water, is, is a huge part of it. A lot of breweries of our of size have between 10 to 15 litres of water per every one litre of beer that's made. Uh, getting that number as small as possible is, is the target. And there are some breweries with a fair amount of backing that have much smaller number than that. Heating that water is, is the main source of, of our gas-fed steam boiler. So we use steam jackets to heat up that water. It's a lot of volume, pretty intensive that way. We do use the heat of our boiled beer to heat up water as well. So we have a heat exchanger which feeds back to our system, which is a significant source of saving for us. And within that, we also have fermenting beer which creates heat and we need to keep it at a regular temperature. So we use a glycol chiller, which is operating constantly to keep beer in line. In amongst all that, we have a fair amount of electrical use with machinery that we have and a lot more water use in terms of turning around the vessels that we use and sanitising and sterilising equipment. But those are the main... The main
1: few. And of course, it's interesting because you actually have CO2 as its own input. So, how do you use the CO2 and where do you get it from? We we
3: have a CO2 tank which we input into the process where needed, but the the goal of a few breweries us included is to to use as much of the CO2 that comes from the the brewing process. So, as yeast ferments, one of the outputs is carbon dioxide in tank. At a certain point, we can capture it inside that vessel and then use it, first of all, to carbonate the beer that's in the tank. And second of all, to help push the beer into either the next tank that it's been used in or the package form as well. So keeping a high amount of pressure within the tank using CO2 that was generated inside that tank for free not only helps us, but helps minimize
1: the losses too. Great. So you don't actually have to be co-located with like a cement plant and, you know, capture through a pipeline, a CO2 stream. You can actually capture it right here at the brewery.
3: Yes, yes, to a a certain extent, and this is something that we're always trying to to increase our input from
1: as well. So we kind of touched upon it a little bit with Ewan, but if you're running a brewery and look around, basically it's a big set of equipment, it's a bunch of pipes. What are the opportunities to sort of knock down your energy inputs, or we talked about it, you know, capture, reuse, CO2, how can you shrink your footprint at a brewery?
0: I think... Like many industrial processes, there are opportunities all over the place. From this particular one, we are doing something as simple as switching out all the light bulbs in the building you know, all 300 plus fluorescent light bulbs to LEDs. We're using the proceeds from this brew to do that. Bigger picture, I mean, the roof could be covered in solar panels. So we've looked at ERA grants for that.
2: So my declaration of conflict of interest is that I am a member of the board of Emissions Reduction Alberta. Obviously in that in that role, I had nothing to do with you know grants that you're applying for um, to, to do some of this work, but there are some great grant programs that ERA is running that help provide funding to organizations, to companies and others to uh, do things like switch out light bulbs for LEDs, all kinds of, you know, installing more efficient equipment. of of quite a range of different types of things. So different ways that, you know, funding can be used to reduce energy demand, which reduces emissions. It also reduces strain on the electricity grid. It's really a kind of win-win all around. And that's our behind the scenes tour of how Annex ALE's Energy versus Climate Session ALE is made. Working with them was a win-win for us at EBC. And we want to thank Andrew, Ewan, Erica, and everyone else at Annex for suggesting this partnership. Also, a big thank you to our producer, Eva Vojnijescu, for pulling this episode together. And for everybody hungry for more energy versus climate content, stay tuned for the return of season four in early March with an episode about community supports and the energy transition with Dore Veno. Until then, cheers.